Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you that we've gathered here as your people, set apart from the world to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray that your spirit would overwhelm us this morning, that you would remind us that we're a people who are indwelled by your spirit and that we would give ourselves over to being controlled more and more by your spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make much of the person of Jesus in our hearts and minds as we look into the word this morning. Bring to mind those things which we need to confess before you and help us, O oh God, to come clean if there is any unclean in us. Father, we've come to worship you. We've come to learn from you. We pray that that would be so. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book that we've been using called Evangelical Convictions, it says this about baptism. Baptism reminds us that becoming a disciple of Jesus, though very personal, is never private. It unites us with a new community of those who have become fellow travelers in our journey of faith. I love that thought. We're all on a journey of faith, and I trust that as a fellow traveler, you will be open this morning to hearing from the Bible and receiving from the Holy Spirit what he would have for us today, for truly he is our teacher and he is our guide. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to raise a hand as our ushers are coming forward with copies of the Bible. Uh, we're going to begin our learning today on page 981 of that Bible, and uh, I'd love for you to have a copy. Take it home, make it yours, write in it. Um, may it be an encouragement to you. Today we find ourselves in week seven of a 10-part series on We Believe, and the topic that we're going to be addressing is the topic that the kids have summarily addressed in such a great way, the topic of the church. And I want to begin by looking back one week, because last week we learned about the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the big ideas from that message was that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit when we embrace Jesus by grace through faith. And though once at enmity with God and deserving of his wrath, we've been brought into his family through the righteous work of Christ. Having been purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we're welcomed into a new community. And today we'll look at some of the metaphors the Bible uses to speak of this new community that we call the church. You might remember that the new community began with Jesus and a small group of 12 men known as his disciples. At one point in the journey, Peter definitively realized that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one who's come to save the world. And in response, Jesus said to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. If you, like Peter, have trusted Jesus, you're now part of a new community of faith. And this community is an historic community. We read in Hebrews that there's a cloud of witnesses giving testimony to the community of followers of Jesus. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended on the people of God, more than 3,000 were added to the church in that day. Those new believers gathered together, and we read in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And from that group, the church grew dramatically. We read in Acts 1.8 that when the Spirit comes upon the people of God, that they will be his witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you sitting here is evidence that that verse has become true. The gospel has gone around the world. 
We read in Acts later that Paul and Barnabas, having shared their faith and established churches, traveled back and forth to the cities where they preached, and they strengthened those in their faith. And so it has been, that pattern has continued for the last 2,000 years. God is building a community of people who are manifesting his kingdom priorities and who give witness to the work of Jesus in history. What a beautiful vision we have for the church. And so today I want us to better understand and step into what it means when we say we believe in the church. Article 7 of the EFCA Statement of Faith reads this way. We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is the head. The true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. Now, when we talk about the church, there's a couple of different ways we can look at it. One lens would be we could look at the church and say, what does the church do? And another lens would be, who is the church? Back in September, you might remember Pastor Andy led us through a series called Gather, Grow, Go, where he described how we as a church strategize and think about our, our ministry. We gather together, we grow up in Christ, and we go forth in mission. You saw today how we regularly practice baptism, and last week we practiced communion. These are things that we do as a church to give witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This baptism is a public declaration of faith, marking entry into the body of Christ. And communion is a regular reminder that we are a people set apart by God for his missional purposes. And as our statement of faith affirms, these activities, they confirm our faith and they nourish us spiritually. Today, I want to take the angle of instead of looking at just simply what we do, I want us to look at who we are. And I'm grateful to my colleague, Craig, for his help in developing this outline and helping me identify some of the major metaphors that the New Testament uses to talk about the church. I want to give you three things to remember before we jump into your outline there, that all of these images describe us as a group. They're not individualistic. They're, they're images of us as the people of God, not just us as individuals. And within each analogy, something else is assumed. We'll talk about that, that how each analogy doesn't work without the relationship with the other parts of the analogy. And every word picture or analogy is not trying to say everything, but it's certainly trying to say something about who we are as the people of God. The first thing I want us to look at, and you have long in there in your outline, is that the New Testament authors describe God's people as a building. Now, if you remember in the New Testament, as you're reading, as Jesus hung on the cross, the dividing curtain of the temple was torn. And this tremendous visual is a reminder to us today that the temple is no longer a building made of rocks and stones. The temple of God is found in the people of God. God dwells within and among his people. The Bible says that the dwelling place of God is with men, and God, the Holy Spirit, as we learned last week, indwells believers. And this metaphor of a building is helpful to us as we consider that we are individually part of God's corporate building project. His Spirit dwells within his people, and he is building his kingdom through you and through me and through us. 
Let's look at the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, on page 981 of that Bible that you have there. In the letter of the 1 Corinthians, as you read through the early chapters, you realize that the Corinthian church was an absolute mess. These people were bickering and fighting. They were jealous. They were, they were in all sorts of sinful realities. And at this point in the text, chapter 3, Paul says these things. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, you all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You, the people, the early church in Corinth, you are the temple of God. How can you treat each other like that? He says. When we destroy God's temple, we're destroying our own spiritual well-being. It's we and us that together make up the temple, the dwelling place of God. It's not a building as the young children understood in the video, but it's us as the children of God. We are the sanctuary. We are the place where God dwells when we gather together. Now we recognize in our common language, we might say, did you go to church today or, or did you go to the church? We use church in two ways, right? As a location, an address, as a building, but we also use it as the people of God. And I wanna to elevate today, friends, that the church is not a building in the physical sense, but the metaphor of a building helps us understand that we are the church. The significance is found when the believers gather together because God's spirit dwells in us as a group. Each one of us are a part of it. In 1 Peter, he says that we are living stones. Listen to, listen to how Peter describes this. The one who said, upon this rock I will build my church, later writes, as you come to him, that is God, a living, uh, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Unlike the Old Testament priesthood, in which only those who were born into a certain tribe could be priests, all who are reborn into God's family, that is all believers, are priests who have the privilege and the responsibility of offering spiritual sacrifices to God. And what we read and the key word that you might follow along with there in your outline is this idea that our spiritual sacrifice to God, according to Romans 12, is to worship him. We are living sacrifices, like drink offerings being poured out. Our lives are being lived out in obedience to God as an act of worship. When we set our heart and mind on the things above, we find ourselves as a worshiping community being built up. I love how Ron Allen simply said it this way. He said, Christians are part of God's great spiritual building project. And as I look out in my audience today, I know many of you are involved in the trades and you're about building things. You get it, right? Together, individually, as the parts all come together, you make this beautiful whole. So too God is building us together. And we're a manifestation of his handiwork. We're a witness to the world of what he is doing and what he has done. Now friends, you couldn't have a building without a builder. It's a metaphor. God is building up his people. Well, the first letter to the Corinthians needed a second letter. 
And in the second letter, Paul says this about the people of God in chapter 6. He says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among men, and I will walk with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. You see, the people of Corinth struggled in being set apart as the temple metaphor of God, the people of God. And they were dabbling in the things of this world, and it was drawing them away from their set-apartness. And Paul isn't calling them back. He says later, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Paul would describe in Ephesians 2 how God's people are a temple built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We are the building and God is the builder. He's forming and he's shaping and he's creating something beautiful. And through our worship, we're being set apart. In so many ways, as we have learned in the last several weeks, we're being invited to become who we already are in Christ. Friends, together we're a building with God as the builder, and he's making something beautiful. And we call it the church. Second, we see how in the New Testament, the church is often spoken of as a body. And the key word here would would be that of connection. Look in the text with me on page 988, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Notice the language here. The one body is one, and yet it has many members. And all the members of the body, though there are many, there's one body. Each part of the body of Christ is connected. Paul's emphasizing here that that brothers and sisters in Christ, you who gather here and who choose to identify to be members of the church of Jesus Christ that we call Bethel Church, you are a part of his body. You who are brothers and sisters in Christ, who are part of the broader church, the church of Jesus, the true church, the big C church, you're part of the greater body of Christ. And we are certainly connected. Together, we serve as a metaphor, a picture of Christ's body. And here's a phrase that's been really helpful to me as I think about that. We can find unity within our diversity. There's a diversity of gifts. When the Spirit indwells you and He gifts you and He empowers you for service, you'll discover that not all of us are the same. Thank God. But together, we reflect the connection which is ours in Christ. Paul will say in Romans 12, So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, this is a pattern he would often repeat to the church. It makes me think that unity was a challenge for them, too. We read later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. There's something special and significant about the connection we experience in the body of believers that we know as the church. While the same spirit distributes various gifts, he creates a diverse community. And then this diversity of giftedness, we find tremendous value. 
Each member is important, and each member should be valued by all. Individually guided by the head, collectively guided by the head who is Jesus. And Jesus said this about himself. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because in Christ, we are one. The metaphor of a building, Christ is building up a a, a body of believers, a building upon the apostles and the prophets, the chief cornerstone being Christ himself. He's building the metaphor of a body with the head leading, the head who is Jesus leading his church. But what do we do with those who want to belong and not yet believe? There's an interesting conversation happening more broadly among churches where a strategy exists to help people belong to the church before they believe in Jesus. And the idea, most simply, is that if we can get people to to join with us, eventually they'll believe like us. And there's a lot to like about that idea. It's attractive. And the impulse is really good. Let's get people to join our community and give them opportunity to see the beauty of Christ-like body living, right? I mean, you and I should regularly be looking for ways to invite our neighbors and coworkers and friends into activities and relationships that will draw them to Jesus. In fact, we actively program that way. We're inviting you, ladies, to come to a women's event to, to bring people with you so they can see how we, the body of Christ, love one another. Friends, we're programming with grief share and divorce care And we're inviting you to invite people you know. Maybe it's not you, but maybe you know somebody who's struggling through those realities of life and who need hope and who need a savior. But there's a danger here too. And the danger would be that it's easy for some people to think they're part of the church, the big C church, because they participate in church activities. The religious activities can become a substitute for the real thing. And we can real easily begin to think that we're, because we're actively involved, we're part of the true community of believers. Our statement of faith guards us from this danger. Reading from that statement, it says, Local church membership should be composed only of believers regenerated by the Holy Spirit. When you think of who we are as a church, we maintain a membership within Bethel Church of believers who are truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And so when we invite you to membership, we're inviting you to join with us, to self-identify as the people of God who know ourselves as Bethel Church and to witness with us to the world that we're a body set apart. But I have to tell you within that invitation, we're gonna invite you to declare that you have in fact trusted Jesus because we don't want you to err into the ditch of believing you're a Christian just because you've been with a bunch of Christians. And friends, it makes sense. Because the evangelical church was birthed out of the state churches of Scandinavia of old. And as you learn in the history, the state churches of old incorporated into membership all who had been baptized regardless of their personal commitment to Jesus. Like many mainline churches, they welcomed all to be members whether they knew Jesus or not. And that's a dangerous thing for Christ's church. The early free church believers formed congregations of those who explicitly gave testimony to and showed evidence of personal conversion. 
As one cultural commentator shared, the desire to belong to a wonderful family of people can too easily lead someone to sign up for Jesus' community, but never really sign on to Jesus' command to repent and believe. The church of Jesus Christ is made up of people who have believed in Jesus. Membership in the local church is a corporate affirmation of a person's profession, but we must not give the false impression leading to a false assurance that such an affirmation is without error. Jesus has warned us that some who appear to be sheep are really wolves in disguise, that the profession of some will prove false and that some will be surprised by the verdict of the Lord in the last day. Friends, we invite you to belong to Christ's church and to believe in what he has done for you, to find within the body of Christ connection to Christ, who is your head, and within the body to welcome community with your brothers and sister. I love how Michael Lawrence summarized his perspective as a pastor in a different part of our country. He said, this is the power of church's witness to Christ according to the New Testament. When the world looks at the church, of course it sees sinners. But that's not all that it sees. It sees sinners whose lives are being radically transformed by the good news of the gospel. It sees sinners whose love for one another cannot be explained by anything other than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It sees sinners who not only love each other, but who love God through Jesus Christ and whose lives display that love in holiness and in truth. In so many ways, when the world looks at the church, the world should see people who both believe the gospel and who belong to the community of the gospel. The third metaphor I want us to see is that of the bride. And the key word here is love. In Revelation chapter 19, on page 1074 in that Bible that we handed out, listen to the excitement of the witness as he recounts what he saw. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Each time when we share communion, we look back to what Christ has done and we look forward to when Christ will come again. And the Bible says that the, the wedding feast of the Lamb, when Jesus brings his church, is like the groom who welcomes his bride. It's like the groom who goes to get his bride for the great marriage. In the time of the New Testament, the, the groom and the bride were identified and then the groom would go off and prepare a place for this new family, this new people to start their lives together, and so too has Jesus. Christ has loved us, Ephesians chapter 5. Christ has made us clean, as evidenced in the, in the metaphor here of clothing herself with fine linen, bright and pure, and Christ nourishes and cherishes us. You saw in baptism this morning, and we're reminded that we're made clean by the washing of water, that Christ's blood poured out for us as a sufficient sacrifice for our sin, and that we are declared righteous, raised to new life to walk in him by the Spirit. In communion, we're reminded of the nourishing work of Christ, that we're a cherished people, evidenced by little simple things like bread and juice, and that together we're to form a new community 
no longer defined by what we once were, we're set free to live in obedience to Christ. Later on in Revelation 21, the witness says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Just as the bridegroom goes off to prepare a home for his new family, so too has Jesus left us with the promise that he has gone to prepare a place for us and that he will return soon. Friends, you and I together make up the bride of Christ as a metaphor. Jesus is not saying we're all going to each have our own little wedding with Jesus, okay? That's not how that works. It's that together, when we come together, it will be the most beautiful, God-honoring, biggest party you could ever imagine, and it will be us worshiping together. Because in that moment, God's building project will be completely realized. The head of the body, who is Jesus, will welcome his ambassadors home in the new heavens and the new earth. Don't forget that he has gone to prepare a place for us and that if he promises he will return, he will return. This picture of a bride speaks to the permanence of our relationship with Jesus. Just like marriage was originally intended between a man and a woman to be a lasting covenant forever, we read in Ephesians 5 that this marriage that we experience between a man and a woman is a living parable of Christ's relationship with his church. Listen, listen to how one commentator summarizes this well. He says, Jesus... The perfect bridegroom is always faithful in his love for his bride. He will never leave or forsake her. He is unrelenting in his pursuit of her good. And he sacrifices everything so that she will be presented pure and blameless. And this Jesus will continue to seek her good until the day that all things are made new, when all of creation will celebrate the marriage of the Lamb and his bride. Friends, each of these metaphors, a building, a body, and a bride, are an invitation to you and to me. The metaphor of a building invites us to worship. The metaphor of a body invites us to connection with one another and to Jesus. The metaphor of a bride reminds us of how much we are loved. And each metaphor assumes something. If there's a building, there must be a builder. If there is a body, there must be a head. If there is a bride, there must be a groom. And each of these analogies doesn't work without the relationship with the other parts. The body won't function without the head. The building won't stand without the foundation. And the bride is not a bride without the groom. She can't exist in the marriage without her groom. And so too, you and I are defined by our relationship to Jesus. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 12 and allow them to encourage you afresh. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here in the free church, we believe that the church is the centerpiece of God's purposes for humanity. 
The promise of the gospel is that God will redeem a people composed of those from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language who will find their unity solely in the common relationship with Jesus Christ as they are united to him by the Spirit. And it is in this church that his people to come is now being made visible to the world. We're a building. We're a body. And we're the bride. And together, we can discover the riches that can be had as we live out God's purposes in real fellowship in the life of a local church. I have to confess that without a commitment to the local church, we've not really understood the gospel because the gospel calls us out of something and into something else. And each local church is a manifestation of these metaphors. And in each local church, it's an outpost of the kingdom of God, ambassadors sent by their king with a message of hope and reconciliation. And if we're being honest, sometimes it can be really hard to be a member in that local church. Real talk for a minute. I love how one pastor summarized his experience as a young man growing up in the church, naively swinging his feet before they even touched the ground, coloring in his things, enjoying all of the benefits of the church, but then growing into maturity and realizing that's not all there is in the life of the church. Yes, we're a building. Yes, we're a body. Yes, we're a bride. And we're messy, aren't we? Listen to this pastor's testimony. He says, I'm older now, and no matter how I might wish it, my childlike eyes aren't coming back, and neither are yours. I see the people more clearly now. My inside view as a pastor to all the complexities and problems, failures, struggles, and tragedies, they've sobered me. The church is not old books and polished pews and auto harps. We don't have that here. It's people in all their weaknesses and failures. I love the tenderness with which he writes. Sober-minded about the reality of a community of people, of other sinners who have been saved by grace, this man is affirming and reminding us that there is hope for the church because we are the people of God. You and I live in a culture where it's increasingly popular for people to express that they believe in Jesus, but they don't want anything to do with this church. If I were to ask you to raise hands of how many of you have heard that, I, I imagine all hands would be raised. Yes, I, I like Jesus, but not so much his church. There's a growing chorus that resounds and it echoes and it, it weighs heavy on our hearts. I love Jesus, but I don't like his church. Brothers and sisters, please do not give up on what Christ has died for. We're a building built with Jesus as the cornerstone on the apostles and the prophets for years with a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on to be the building that God is building us into, to be the body that Christ is leading us and to be the bride who's being purified and looking forward to her bridegroom who is promised to come soon. When I was growing up out west, it was common for me to meet people in the church who had left the church. 
And they became increasingly satisfied with this idea that it's okay, it's me and Jesus in a tree stand. It's me and Jesus in the mountains and we're good. Friends, if that's you this morning, I want to offer you something so much better. God has so much more for you. He wants for you to be a part of this building project that's us together, baptizing new believers, welcoming them into the family of God, spending time at communion, remembering what he has done, celebrating the benevolent work with one another and looking forward to what Christ has done. And you can't do that alone. Nor should you try. Let us not give up on the building, the body, and the bride. Just as we address the danger of belonging and not believing, guard your hearts from believing and not belonging. Now, I realize we've gathered together here, so maybe that's not you. Maybe it's someone you know. But let's be the people who welcome them in to the body of Christ. And let's be who Christ has called us to be. So the one thing I want to leave you with today is that you wouldn't just belong and not believe. That would be terrible for you. But that you would believe and belong. And be a part of what Christ is building here and around the world. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts to make us into a people who are being set apart for you. Lord, help us to not fall into the ditch of believing that because we've done these religious activities, we must be okay. Oh God, remind us that we are okay because of what Christ has done and we believe. But too, Lord, help us to not fall into the ditch of believing that, that we're just okay out on our own when really, God, you tell us that we need one another. Lord, remind us of that again today and draw us close to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.